I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, June 26th, 2022, and this is episode 175 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So I missed last week um, because of a family emergency. My husband actually had a bad accident and broke his foot. And so I was in shock trauma um, for a part of the weekend. And it was just been crazy around here. He's okay. It's just his foot and other, you know, bruises and contusions and whatnot, but nothing, nothing super serious. But it means he is not very ambulatory, as they say, because he also... Uh, sprained his other ankle. So both feet are kind of messed up and that makes getting around difficult. So I've been caregiving, um, which, you know, obviously is difficult. He's relegated to the first floor and yeah, a lot of, a lot of changes, um, happening this past week and for the next couple of months while he recovers. Fortunately, he's doing better every day and, uh, I'm extremely grateful because it could have been so much worse. But I've been frazzled running around this week, um, doing all the things he usually does, which I had no idea how much he actually usually does around the house. I mean, we split most of the duties, but he does a lot of things and the dog care, walking the dogs. We have two dogs and two cats. And so managing all of my stuff, all of his stuff, all of the pet stuff, and just worry, stress, um, it's difficult. And so, yeah, that is why I missed last week. And, you know, I'm thinking the schedule will be regular, but um, who knows? Who knows what will happen in the future? I'm kind of just taking it day by day and trying to manage my energy levels and all of that. But even though I did miss several writing days, I was able to write some days. And, you know, once kind of found my footing in terms of getting everything together that I needed to um sitting down, trying to do some work, trying to get back to the things that I enjoy doing to feed me and also things like obligations that I have while managing it with taking care of myself. It's kind of this balancing act that I'm learning how to do. And uh, I don't have any great insights. I think it's just, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. I kept thinking that to myself over and over, like, obviously I need to be there for him and, you know, physically aid him, um, but also take care of myself and carve out time so that I'm not depleted. So I have enough to give. However, in the midst of all that, uh, this week's best thing, and at this point, the past two weeks, I've blurred together. So I'm not exactly sure when, when this happened. I think it was this past week. I finished the first fast draft of the manuscript that I've been working on, which is the Black Towns novel. And actually, I started dictating uh, at some point, and this might have been last the week before. So I had been writing, I usually fast draft on my free write traveler, which I love. But at a certain point, I think my, my wrists were getting tired and sore. And I was just like, this might be easier for me to, to talk it out. And I have a program called Spoke. And I also tried Otter. These are sort of AI dictation apps where you speak into your microphone and the AI just writes down what you say. And they're actually pretty accurate. Um, they will both try to put the punctuation in so you don't have to speak the punctuation, 
which is what I didn't like about Dragon. I tried Dragon, naturally speaking, which is kind of the granddaddy of these dictation programs. But you have to say period, open quote, close quote. And I found that really took me out of things and I never dropped into the story. And so I, I use dictation when I do my nonfiction writing. I have a regular column in the Galaxy's Edge magazine and I have for the past year or so dictated the first draft of that. But I hadn't tried it for fiction really, aside from my early dragon trials, which was probably years ago at this point. And so just out of desperation, I, I tried it. So like I said, there's a, a program called Spoke, which I had gotten a deal on a couple of months ago. And it does other things. It, it's I think it's mainly for transcribing like Zoom meetings, which I said could be very helpful. And then otter.ai, I'll link to these in the show notes, AI, like I said. And then my friend who I write with in the mornings was like, why don't you try uh, Microsoft Word? They've got really good dictation. And I've also tried Google Docs before, which is, you know, okay. And so I gave Microsoft Word a try. And long story short, I came up upon a way to deal with the punctuation issue because unlike with the AI, well, even with the AI, like AI, the AI apps will, like I said, put in your periods when you pause. But when I'm dictating fiction, I pause a lot. So I'm thinking I'm like in the middle of a sentence and then I'm going to have to go back and delete all of those periods. And then it still doesn't deal with the, the quotations for, you know, quotes and things like that and commas. But in Microsoft Word, since I am looking at it as it's typing, you know, I'm speaking and I'm watching the words type on the screen, I can do a mix. So I actually type the punctuation in as I'm speaking it. So I don't have to say period, open quote, close quote. I can just type them. And that has been working for me. That is kind of the middle ground I found. So I can stay in the, in the mindset of the story and not be taken out by speaking punctuation. Uh, which a lot of people do get used to, but I just haven't. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's a far faster fast draft. I mean, faster, usually in a writing sprint, I can get anywhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred words in a half an hour. Um, and I found that I was getting a bit more than that. I was getting closer to 2,000 to 2,500. So I was increasing my daily word count by about a thousand words a day through dictation. And I know it can go faster, but that was just me figuring it out, you know, still in the early stages of getting used to it. And I finished the last, I don't know, I didn't even count the words, but I finished the rest of the book, the fast draft in a week, whereas I thought I might take a bit longer. And I was really enjoying the dictation. I do feel like it is a far rougher fast draft, which is what I was trying to get at before, like a faster fast draft, faster in terms of speed, but also in terms of the roughness of it, like my normal fast drafts, which I write without editing, without going back and really reading what I've done before, are very rough. They're not, like I like to say, they're not readable by humans. This is even worse. It's even rougher. And uh, we we will see when I revise it, how much rougher it actually is. And if it, if it takes longer to revise, However, my revisions are generally complete rewrites anyway. It's not like I'm generally reusing any of the words that I've written in my fast draft. I rewrite everything. So a rougher fast draft, in my mind, I'm thinking it won't make that big of a difference, but we'll see. So I'm really hopeful about this. If I can get my fast drafts out even faster and just get the bones of it, then I can move into revision faster and the whole process will be a little faster. Also, the sort of creative exhaustion 
um, that I feel when I write takes longer to set in the dictation I found. And part of it is because I'm saving my the physical strain and stress on my hands and wrists and arms. But also there's just like a mental exhaustion that comes from being creative. And whereas I might hit that, you know, at two hours, normally with writing, with typing, I'll hit it at three or three and a half hours with dictation. And so even though it feels, I wrote in my notes that it feels artless, you know, while I'm doing it, it feels even worse. And I am a person who hates first drafts. This makes it a little more palatable, but it feels like like I'm not writing words. Like he walked in the door, he sat down. Like I'm just very basic kind of Dr. Seuss level writing. When I reread parts of it, it's not actually that bad. So it's it's sort of just the perception while I'm doing it that I'm speaking these words that are just feel crazy and terrible. So I don't know if in reality it's any worse than my normal first drafts are. Certainly felt that way though. But also the wonderful thing about fast drafting is that when I got to the end, which was, well, I got to 50,000 words. So this just draft is about 60,000, which is where I thought it would end up. It's about 58,9. At 50,000 words in, I realized that the book is actually about something else, maybe, <laughs> which is why I fast draft. I had come to that realization you know, the theme was different. There's different levels of realizations that I come through during the fast drafts. And I'm still working out now that I'm on the other side of it, having spent a few days trying to plan the revision. I'm still working out exactly what the book is about, which I think I always do. But um, this book has been a unique struggle. And it continues to be, even though I'm very happy that I finished that first draft, I'm still looking at what I have and like, is this, is this approaching what I wanted it to be? Is this, um, and then how can I make it what I want it to be? So the first step in my revision has been going back to character. I am doing the detailed character builder profile on uh, One Stop for Writers. And that's something that I usually do at this stage after I've gone through a whole draft with the character. And I'm, I'm probably only going to do the main character, Jane. I don't know if I'm going to need to do the detail work on all the other ones. I'll, I'll need to do additional character work on them. But she's the heart of the story. And her motivation and her backstory specifically have been shifting throughout my drafting and, and throughout the plotting process. The specifics, like it's always the basics, the overarching thing has always been the same, but the exact specifics of what exactly happened in her backstory, her wound, her character wound, to make her arc what it is. So in that way, this this process is very similar to my, all my processes for all my books, where I know the bones coming, going in, you know, I know where she starts and ends up in general terms, but all of the specifics take a long time to figure out and and like I said, this one is, is probably more challenging than most. So I'm going to go to, I've done about half of that character builder profile, which just gets in really detailed in nitty gritty of the wound, the lie, the fear, the character, the personality traits, negative aspects, positive aspects, influences, all of that stuff. And building the backstory this way, talking it through with some people, trying to just pressure test what I have figure out what doesn't feel right about what I've written so that in the revision I can fix it. And then I'm going to break it down scene by scene to the scenes that I wrote and how I'm going to have to change them in the revision. 
So usually I'm hoping it'll take about two weeks to do this work and then I'll dive into the, the actual work that feels like writing of revising. Actually, I looked at my notes. Um, I don't know what I said. <laughs> I'm a little frazzled. Please forgive me. I've been getting 4,000 plus words per day, whereas usually I would be getting in the around 3,000 words a day was my goal and I was hitting that. So I've added at least a thousand words a day to the fast drafting process through the dictation. I might have said something different earlier in this podcast. And then I came across an article on four ways to write a more cathartic story, which I'll link, which I thought was really interesting. And the quote that I pulled out from that article was, your novel should build emotional tension by putting its characters in tricky situations, forcing them to learn and grow, and then setting them against one last challenge. In those final moments, we see just how much their journey has shaped their lives, releasing that emotional tension in a rousing and memorable conclusion. And I think part of what this is, is I'm very happy with the beginning and the arc, even though I'm going to make some changes. And I know that my character changes, but I'm, I'm really trying to figure out, you know, this one last challenge. It's just the, the details of it, you know, like she starts here. That's a thing she would never do. By the end, she actually has to do that thing. And that shows her growth. And that's exactly what this says. It's, it's cathartic. How do I make it cathartic? So there's going to have to be other opportunities along the way where maybe she could have done something similar, but shies away because she hasn't completed the arc yet. I just need to make sure all those things are in place. Like they might be there. I haven't actually read through the fast draft. I'm always scared to do that. But in my mind, they're not quite there, and I need to shore them up, and this character work will help do that. So I think you come across things that help you when you are in need of them, and I think this article was one of those times when it's exactly what I was working on and thinking about and worried about, and it had some interesting ideas that I wanted to you know, focus on about fixing that and, and making, making it what I want it to be. In a recent newsletter by one of my favorite authors, Kate Stradling, she talks about uh, one of her recent books, The Air and the Spare, which is fantasy romance, which is basically what she writes, kind of like modern, not modern, but, um, well, it's, an, it's a fairy tale. It's an alternate fairy tale. I don't remember which fairy tale it's based on, but um, the main character, and so this article I'll link to, it's sort of spoiler alerts for the book. Um, she kind of goes into more detail about her thought process while she was writing and things like that. So if you haven't read The Air and the Spare and you might want to read it. You might not want to read the sequence of articles. But I did pull out something that I thought was really interesting and that struck me. And so she's talking about the main character. And Kate says that she's a damsel in distress and intentionally so. It was important to me that she doesn't save herself. There's a time and place for bootstrapping heroines, but this novel was not it. None of us should have to maneuver through this life depending only on our own strength or cleverness, and the world would be a much better place if we stopped expecting it of others. And that just really struck me because I hadn't, you know, I love that book and I hadn't considered necessarily her being a damsel in distress. I don't notice those things. I mean, I love a badass heroine um, that, you know, can kick a lot of ass and I like writing those heroines. But I also like, you know, badass heroes who can save the day as well. And I think a lot of times we're told that, oh, you know, the women in the stories, they have to, they can't be damsels in distress. Like that's over. We're done with it. That was like archaic, you know, as a notion that women should be able to save themselves. And that's cool. Like I enjoy that as much as anyone. 
But that's not the only thing. And the idea that, you know, none of us should ever have to maneuver through this life depending only on our own strength. The idea that a damsel in distress is a bad thing kind of lends to that. Like, okay, we all have to be these strong, upright people who, you know, don't need anybody. And and that's just not true. Sometimes we need help and it's okay to get help. And It's okay to have a novel where your damsel gets saved by someone. It doesn't mean that, you know, she has no strength. This particular character shows a lot of strength and inner strength. But as uh, Kate points out in this post, she has trauma from, you know, (laughs) various characters in the story who are awful. And so it wasn't appropriate in this instance for her to heal her own trauma on her own, you know, kind of without assistance. That's just not how life works. And it can be dangerous to sort of be in this narrative that the damsels in distress are always a bad thing. And that really resonated with me when I read it. Uh, And I wanted to just bring that to light. So check out these posts if you are of a mind to. I will link to them. Uh, Beware that they do have spoilers for the book. And I, I do recommend the book highly. So In other news, I did want to give a shout out to listener, viewer, Margaret Pernard, who is an author and has her own YouTube channel. I will link to her site and channel. She's doing a lot of great content over there. She recommended I check out the AuthorTube Writing Conference, which I will actually be presenting at. It is July 15th through the 17th on YouTube, and I'll be doing a workshop called The Authorpreneur Path. So I will link to that to check out the schedule. There's a lot of great speakers, including Sarah Cannon, who I also love. Um, It looks like a lot of great content. And yeah, so thank you, Margaret, for pointing me in that direction. And I hope that you guys check out this conference. Also check out my website events page for other workshops and events I'm doing. I'm doing an in-person launch event for The Monsters We Defy in August in Silver Spring, Maryland at Loyalty Bookstore. So if you're in the area, um, I hope that you can come out. I don't have a link yet, so stay tuned. But that is happening Thursday, August 11th. And I'm really excited about doing an in-person launch event. Again, it's been quite a while since I have been able to do one. <laughs> and finally, um, we saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, that movie that I've heard such raves about. And um, I left the theater kind of being like, on one hand, <laughs> I don't quite see what everyone is raving about. Like, I enjoyed it on certain levels and I appreciated the artistry of it. But then as like the, as time went on, as days went by, I was thinking about it more and more. And I think it's one of those movies where immediately afterwards, I was like, what was that? And then as I thought about it, and actually I watched a bunch of YouTube videos about it, and it sort of stayed with me. And so the things that stay with you, I always think that's a testament to their value artistically. Um, it was kind of a mess, but it was also like great art. And I did appreciate what it was saying about, you know, coming to terms with your life and your disappointments, relationships between family members like mothers and daughters and husbands and wives, fathers and daughters. It had a lot to say. It was also so full of exposition that I could barely understand what was like the exposition that mainly the husband character had to give like for 30 minutes, it seemed like. So... I would recommend seeing it. I won't rave about it the way that I've heard others rave about it, but I do feel like it had a lot of great aspects. And as, you know, 
someone trained in filmmaking who appreciates indie film and appreciates films that aren't, uh, that are designed to do something other than just entertain, I do appreciate it. On the other hand, it was a little bit of a mess, but it's kind of a beautiful mess, you know? So anyway, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I pulled a quote from a review that felt appropriate. And this is from IndieWire. It said, this movie is an or- orgiastic work of slap-happy genius that doesn't operate like a narrative film so much as a particle accelerator. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's I couldn't, I would never put those words together like that, but I read that and I'm like, yes, that's it. So yeah, I would, I would see it again. I think I would probably need to see it again. But so much of it was, was moving. The end of it was very moving for me. The middle of it was very like, what's happening? And I appreciated the indie vibe, so. And that is it for me for this week. Um, goals for the coming week. I would like to complete the first draft of Beastly Kingdom via dictation this week, which should totally be possible in theory. Although, uh, we'll see. <laughs> but now that I've started dictating, I've kind of gotten hankering for it. And yeah, I think it's a really cool way to do first drafts. And and maybe if I can get, you know, more than 4,000 words a day, if I can get to five, which should be possible, as I get better at it, you know, and get more comfortable with it, then you know, 5,000 words a day, five times five is 25. Well, that's not enough for a first draft, but, you know, two weeks max for a fast draft of a, of a book because they're so short. If that's the new normal, I mean, that could be really cool. And then also, of course, work on the character and the scene breakdown for the Black Towns book and get that ready to dive into the revision. I did, my new deadline is October 1st for this book. At some point, I ask for more time. And this is before my husband's accident. So thank God, because, you know, there would, even if I could have pushed before, I couldn't have pushed after. So I did request the time before the accident and it was a blessing. So yes, I plan to talk to you next week and I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.